I think satire and humor are worth defending. I think free speech is worth defending, and I think it's a tool that we need to use in the church. Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee, speaking at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. Humor is our tool. Humor is something that God created. The left just co-opted it for all the terrible comedies and stuff that you see and all the vulgar stuff coming out of Hollywood. It's ours, and we're going to reclaim it. And I think that's one of the, one of the missions of the Babylon Bee. The left wants to take down humor. The left demands that things that mock them and point out how ridiculous they are being get torn down. But we're just going to keep answering that with more and more humor. And I think it starts here. It starts in the church. We need to be able to laugh at ourselves. You can watch and listen to a recording of Kyle Mann's presentation, Making the Case Against Cancel Culture, from this year's Making the Case Conference. For a donation of $300, you can download an audio and video recording. Learn more at issuesetc.org. The following is an encore presentation of Issues Etc. For me, it's a religious thing. I believe this is God's creation, and we have a moral obligation to be good stewards. And they're talking about the United States of America, because when Matthew mentioned it in the Bible, he wasn't talking about the physical ground that he was on. He was talking about something in the distance. So if we are going to have one nation under God, which we must, we have to have one nation under God and one religion under God. When Paul is going over... How do you conduct your ministry as he's departing from the Ephesian elders in Acts? He says, I have not shrunk from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That means both the stuff I like to say and the stuff that I don't like to say. The signs of cataclysm and collapse that terrify the world set your heart dancing with joy because you know he's not coming to send you to hell, but he's coming to rescue you from every enemy you've ever had. Wisconsin turkey producers love issues, etc. I serve a congregation that observes a very traditional, a formal, reverent form of worship. It happens to be one that goes back to the earliest Christians. But is it merely about preserving a worship tradition? It isn't. And is it merely about, well... This is the way this congregation has always done it? Well, no, of course not, because this is, by the way, not the way that my congregation has always done it. So why do Lutherans worship the way they do? It might have something to do with what Lutherans believe. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. on this Friday afternoon, November the 26th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll begin today's show talking with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller about what I wish my non-Lutheran family knew about worship. Then we'll discuss the season of Advent with Dr. Ken Sherb. Pastor Brian Wolfmiller is pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Steph Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. He posts theology on the YouTube channel Wolfmiller One, and he is author of several books, including Has American Christianity Failed? Brian, welcome back. Thank you, Todd. Thanks for having me. So at the outset here, make the case that the way Lutherans worship is not merely adherence to tradition, although it has something to do with that. And it's not simply we've done it this way. And it's not something incidental to what we believe, teach, and confess. Yeah, this is. I, I think that that's not only true for Lutherans, but it's true for every Christian. That when you see how people worship, you can see also what they believe, either an understood belief or maybe even the belief that's below the surface. So the way we come together as Christians 
and worship the Lord is an indication of what we believe about the Lord, who he is and what he has done. There's an old rule in the church, the lex credendi, lex arendi, how you believe is how you pray. It goes back and forth, and I think there's some real profound wisdom in that, that we should we should give this honor not only to our own Lutheran worship, but also to our friends and family who are not Lutheran, and and understand that there's an integrity between the worship form and the faith that's being confessed there. And this is important. A lot of churches have sort of conceded to the idea that worship is more of a marketing technique. And you can see that in a lot of evangelical churches. They're, they want to change the way they worship in order to better market the faith to those who are outside the faith. Well, that tells you a lot about what you believe about Jesus and about how he comes to us and about what the role of the church is and the power or lack of power of the Lord's Word. And a lot of Lutheran churches have adopted this idea, especially churches who have sort of a offering of different worship styles. So some churches will have the early services traditional and then a blended service and a contemporary service. If you see that, there's an indication that what the church is confessing is that this way we worship is to be shaped around the person coming to worship. It's a consumer-driven idea of worship, but that tells you also their theology, that their main concern is how these forms appeal to the people who are coming to it. So I think we want to start at the very beginning by recognizing that the shape of worship or the form of worship is itself a confession of theology, or at least it's the reflection of a theology that's working underneath the surface. I have, for years, had something I call the, I think I call it the Wilkin worship riddle. To put a fine point on something you just said, it goes something like this. Baptists worship the way they do because they believe what Baptists believe. Roman Catholics worship the way they do because they believe what Roman Catholics believe. Pentecostals worship the way they do because they believe what Pentecostals believe. So, here's the riddle, it's not much of one. Why do some Lutherans worship like Baptists and Pentecostals. <laughs> That's right. So there's probably a handful of ways to to actually address that problem. I mean, that riddle is nice because it exposes the the danger of what we call the worship wars or this conversation, this debate in the Lutheran Church about what our worship should look like. We we have abandoned our identity and our identifying theology, and for a lot of people, that's the point. I mean, a lot of people think that that being Lutheran is the problem. And so if we could just act like someone else who's more successful or more spiritual or more whatever, then we can share in their success or their spirituality. So there's a, a shame in our Lutheran theology that shows up in being ashamed of our, our traditional Lutheran worship, which is itself a real shame because, as we'll get to, there's such a profound richness in our theology. But I think we maybe could take a step further on our diagnosis and understand this as spiritual warfare because Lutheran worship is built around delivering the gifts that Jesus sends to his church through the word and spirit. So Jesus sends the Holy Spirit from his throne in heaven with the gift of his words to create and sustain in us faith, saving faith. This is true, by the way, in every Christian church. I mean, this is what it means to be a Christian church. It means that Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit and the Word to create and sustain faith. 
it's happening every time the word is read and preached, but it's only the Lutherans, I want to be very careful about this, but I think this can be sustained, it's only the Lutherans that recognize this. So God is working in every different church to create and sustain faith, but one of the unique things about the Lutheran church is we say, yeah, we understand that this is happening. So the Lutheran church should be the last church to have a flexible and malleable basic form of worship because we actually have the theology of worship that goes behind it. So we look at this irony and say, why are then the Lutherans the first to try to embrace the worship styles of the other confessions? And I think the only sort of rationally unrational answer to that question is that the devil is attacking the Lord's gifts. So the question about what is worship is for me a question of spiritual warfare. And I think we can even put a finer point on it. If you go back to the ancient wars and even some more modern wars like World War I, there was a front, a battlefront, where the soldiers were fighting. And then there was the supply lines. And this is where the food is being delivered and, and weapons are being delivered and the sick are being carried back to care. And those supply lines are what keep the church equipped or what keep the soldiers equipped and ready to fight. And it was one of the strategies of war is to attack the supply line. Well, if we understand that worship is the supply line that through which the Holy Spirit and brings the Word of God to us to equip us with all that we need for the spiritual warfare, then this attack on worship is an attack on the supply line of the Holy Spirit. And so the devil's going to come after every Christian worship, but most especially he'll come after the Lutheran form of worship because we, in fact, understand and confess what's happening here is that God, the Holy Spirit, is bringing us the gifts of the forgiveness of sins and life and salvation through the Word of God. We're going to come back to that because that really is all important. But let's try to come to a full definition of worship. You say that worship is, in part, our work in adoring God, giving thanks and for who and what he has done. But you say that's only part and not a complete definition of Christian worship. Yeah, especially as we think about what I wish my non-Lutheran family understood about worship, we should say, well, what's the common understanding of worship that exists outside of the Lutheran Church, perhaps in the American Church or even in the, in the Catholic Church? And I think the common understanding of worship is our work of adoration, that we come together as Christians and we give thanks and praise to the Lord for what he's done and for who he is. And that's important, and that's true, and that's a very central part of the activity of worship. But it's only a part, and it's not the most important part. And this is where our definition of worship is going to be very helpful, is that we understand that the, the chief thing of worship is not what we're doing, but what God himself is doing. So the chief thing is not our action, not our adoring, not our praising, not our thanking, not our singing, not our coming together, but the things that the Lord himself is doing when he gathers his church. So just as a couple of examples from the scripture, right after the Lord gives the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, he says, in every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and I will bless you. And I think this would be then our understanding of the chief activity of worship is the Lord makes himself present with us in order to bless us important to have the two things there because the presence of God is not necessarily a good thing. The Lord could show up to judge us or to condemn us, but he causes his name to be remembered there. He comes to us to bless us. 
or to take up the words of Jesus. These are some of my most favorite and precious passages to consider. So, for example, in Mark 10, verse 45, when Jesus is contrasting the way the Gentiles do things with the way his disciples will do things, he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Or Jesus reflects this teaching right after he gives the Lord's Supper, right before they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus would pray and be arrested and tried overnight and crucified. So in the shadow of the cross and in the shadow of the, the giving of the Lord's Supper, the, the New Testament and Christ's blood, he says, who is greater, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who sits at the table? He's using the example of, of going out to dinner or of a home where there's servants who are serving the masters. Who's greater, the one that sits at the table, the one who serves? Obviously, it's the one who sits at the table. But then Jesus says, yet I am among you as the one who serves. So on Sunday, or whenever the church is gathered in the name of Jesus, three or more, and he's there in our midst, he continues to be there, not to be served, but to serve. And this totally flips the understanding of worship on its head. Worship is not chiefly about my coming to the presence of the Lord or my giving thanks to God for all he's done or my giving myself to him and handing myself over to him. No, the chief thing of worship is the Lord Jesus now coming to us. So worship is, first of all, being served and being blessed and being cared for and being forgiven by our, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we receive with thanksgiving by faith, this gift of divine service. Some Lutherans have identified this. This is the traditional way that the Lutherans would speak about the liturgy as divine service and recognizing that it's God serving us. And we don't want to take that too far and exclude our response in thanksgiving and praise and adoration. And, and again, more on that later. So we do respond to the Lord. But the chief thing is that the Lord Jesus comes to us to bless us. And that totally changes the understanding of what worship is on its head for most people, is that now I come to be blessed and to be cared for, and Jesus invites me into his gracious presence to give me his light yoke and his, his wonderful, beautiful burden, which is this enduring all the troubles of the world and knowing that my sins are forgiven. Pastor Brian Wolf Miller is our guest. It's our series, What I Wish My Non-Lutheran Family Knew About. Today we're talking about worship. We'll deal with how those two parts of the definition of worship go together and why we can't exclude one or the other and retain a biblical understanding of Christian worship next. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. I'm Chaplain Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Congregations work hard to keep the Word of Christ dwelling richly in His disciples now and into eternal life. We work to help and support that effort. 
Learn more at lcms.org worship. You'll find resources on the church here, Bible studies on the hymns of the day, audio helps for learning to sing our services, and look for worship planning resources to find the latest from LCMS Worship. That's lcms.org worship. May the word of Christ dwell richly in you. A voice in the wilderness of American evangelicalism. You're listening to Issues Etc. This is Pastor Clint Poppy, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, a proud supporter of Issues Etc. Each month we host the Nebraska Lutherans for Confessional Study, a serious study of Lutheran theology. We generally meet on the fourth Thursday of each month from 9.30 to 2.30, and both clergy and laity are invited. There is no charge to attend. For more information, please call the church office or visit our website, goodshepherdlincoln.org, and click on the green NLCS tab. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking with Pastor Brian Wolf Miller, author of Has American Christianity Failed? About what he wished his non-Lutheran family knew about worship. So Brian, before the break, you talked about the primary part of the definition of Christian worship being Christ serving us through his word and sacraments. But it also includes our faithful response. Why is it important that we have both and that and not fall off the horse on the other side, exclude the rightful response of the worshipers. Yeah, there's a Lutheran overreaction, a new Lutheran overreaction to an evangelical abuse, I think. So the a lot of American evangelicalism would understand worship chiefly in terms of the emotional experience. And that's a dangerous idea. I know God is close to me because I feel close to God. I know God has forgiven me because I feel forgiven. It's the exaltation of the experience and the emotions, and we would rightly criticize that. The problem is then we go too far to say that the experience or the emotions or even our own response has nothing at all to do with it. Could you imagine being so cold? Is that the creator of the universe and the Lord of all, who has come into our flesh and blood to suffer in our place in order to win for us eternal life and the reward of his work which is righteousness that endures on the judgment day so that we can stand before him in the new heaven and the new earth completely by his grace apart from any works or efforts of our own and that word comes to us and we say huh interesting (laughs) that we're totally unmoved it's an impossibility the truth of the gospel, the good news of the announcement of the victory that Jesus has won over sin, death, and the devil, and that that is for us, is so wonderful that it's almost unimaginable that we don't, together with the saints and angels gathered before the throne in heaven, fall down on our faces and throw our crowns before him and worship him, who has all power and authority and glory and has done all of these things for us. So we want to confess simply the right response, that our faith and the experience of our faith and our own emotions are 
in service to the Lord's Word and not the opposite of that. So we can speak of the ministerial versus the magisterial use of emotions and experience and understand that if our experience and our emotions match the truth of God's Word, then God be praised. But if we try to put our experiences or our emotions over God's Word to rule over the promises, to determine if His Word is true or not, or if we are to say that because our experience or emotions don't match what's being preached in the Lord's Word, then then the Lord's Word is not true for us, then we're in a very dangerous place. So we don't want to overreact. We want to recognize that first the Lord Jesus comes to us and serves us and gives us his gifts, and that we then believe those promises. That's the worship of faith. And we trust in the Lord. We love him for his great gifts, and then we begin to go and love and serve our neighbor in response to that. So there is a right and in some ways required response to the Lord's goodness. But we want to understand that the Lord is the one who acts first, and then we uh, give thanks to him for all these great gifts. When the Lutheran confessions take up the subject of proper worship of God, and you've alluded to this already, they say proper worship of God is chiefly faith. What do they mean? Yeah. Here, let me give you a couple of quotes from, this is the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. So going back to 1530, Philip Melanchthon defending the Lutheran confessors who stood before Emperor Charles V in Augsburg back in 1530. And, And Melanchthon says this, the difference between this faith and the righteousness of the law can easily be discerned. Faith is the latria. Interesting that that's a Greek word that means worship or liturgy or service. They translate it divine service. But Melanchthon uses the original Greek in the confession. Faith is the latria, which receives the benefits offered by God. The righteousness of the law is the latria, which offers to God our merits. By faith, God wishes to be worshipped in this way, that we receive from him those things which he promises and offers. So this is the chief thing. The Lord promises and offers his great gifts, the righteousness of Christ, the forgiveness of sins, the promise of eternal life and the resurrection of the body. And we, by faith, believe those promises. And that faith is true worship. It's given God the honor of being truthful and not only the one who tells the truth and keeps his promises, but the one who is able to accomplish these things which he promises. Here's another beautiful couple of sentences from Melanchthon. This is a little bit later on. He says, Thus the worship and divine service of the gospel is to receive from God gifts. On the contrary, the worship of the law is to offer and present our gifts to God. We can, however, offer nothing to God unless we have first been reconciled and born again. This passage, too, brings greatest consolation as the chief worship of the gospel is to wish to receive remission of sins, grace, and righteousness, so that our worship is receiving from God the gifts that he brings. And these gifts are so marvelous beyond our asking or imagining or our comprehension or our deserving or our merit or anything else. These gifts are so astonishing that we respond in overwhelming thanks for the benefits that he gives to us. So, and now we go come to the form. We've been talking, in essence, theory or theology of worship. Now we come to what actually happens on Sunday morning, and you say there are three things that shape it. What are they? 
Yeah, at least three. I think we can we could probably imagine more. But these are nice for us to think of. And this is just an answering to the question. We're talking with our non-Lutheran friends and, and family, and they say, why do you guys do what you do? I think it, we can simplify it this way. Say, well, number one, our theology, and specifically our theology of the means of grace, that's going to be the, the main driver of why we do what we do. Number two, we have a generous view of church history and tradition. So that's going to be one of the reasons why the Lutheran Church is a preserving church. It's it's ready to accept the things handed on, so it has this generous view of tradition. And then number three, and perhaps very most important for this conversation, I think this might be the most important point and something that I don't hear talked about too much, and that is that our worship is a reflection of the activity of the heavenly courtroom or the heavenly throne room. And it's when we understand that connection between what happens in church and what happens in heaven that I think that we begin to see the full richness of the church's service on Sunday morning. So those are the three major factors that I think give shape to what we actually do. Why is it so important to understand that the means, as you said, the supply lines earlier on, the means through which God, the Holy Spirit, creates, and we need to say emphatically, sustains, maintains faith. Why is that so important to emphasize that this is at the heart of a, of a Lutheran definition of worship? The reason I go to church is because if I didn't, I w- would stop being a Christian right. altogether. Yeah. I think this is, maybe to illustrate this, is the idea of the Desert Island Church, First Church of the Desert Island. This idea is that if you and I, Todd, were Christians, so say we were baptized, we had the Holy Spirit, we believed in the Lord, we had no theological training, and we were just dumped on a desert island with a Bible, how would our theology shake out? And I I think it goes something like this is that we we recognize by the Holy Spirit that we are sinners. We read the Bible and we see that God requires all these things of us, and we see that we do not meet those requirements. So we know that we're in trouble. We've got to face God on Judgment Day. So that's going to give a particular emphasis to our reading of the Bible. We're going to be reading through that Bible trying to figure out how the Lord thinks of our sins. And we're going to find that the Lord forgives our sins, but we're going to find that promise of forgiveness connected to a couple of very specific things. We're going to find the forgiveness of sins connected to baptism. So, so for example, the preaching of St. Peter on Pentecost, be baptized and have your sins washed away. Or, or Peter, who says in Acts chapter 10, be baptized again for the washing of your sins. Or baptism now saves you. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. So we're going to say, ah, baptism, that forgives sins. And then we're going to see the gift of Jesus that he gives to the church on Easter, when in John chapter 20, he breathes on his disciples and says, whoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. Say, okay, we're going to forgive each other our sins. And then we see the gift that the Lord gives in on the night when he was betrayed before his crucifixion, that here, this is the New Testament in my blood, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. So we have the Lord's Supper, and that delivers the forgiveness of sins. And so we're, whatever we do as this first church of the desert island, we're going to be baptizing and absolving and preaching. Again, Luke 24, repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached in every place. And we're going to be having the Lord's Supper. And these things are now going to be what we gather around for the forgiveness of sins, where the Lord will deliver his promise and where we can believe that that promise is true for us.
And this is really what the Lutheran confessions do when they define the church. They say the church is the place where the gospel is rightly preached and the sacraments are rightly administered. The reason why they hone in on those two particular things is because those things, the gospel preached and the sacraments administered, are the way that Jesus has established the distribution of the forgiveness of sins. And so that's what the church is. If you want to just think of what the, I mean, like people say the church is not the building, which which is true. The church is not the building, but we do have a, a building oftentimes. And, and the reason is that we want to have a roof over the the font and the pulpit and the lectern and the altar, the table, because these are the the places where the Lord Jesus comes as he promised and as he instituted to deliver the forgiveness of sins. And here we recognize that this word and these sacraments are not mere remembrances or mere signs or mere symbols or mere things that we're doing, works that we are accomplishing, but gifts that God gives to give the forgiveness of sins. And when you look at the form then of Lutheran worship, this is what it centers around. Lutheran worship is the gospel rightly preached and the sacraments rightly administered so that the Lord Jesus can get the forgiveness of sins to us, his people. And that is how and why, theologically, why the the service is shaped the way it is, so that the word and the sacraments would come to us. We're talking with Pastor Brian Wolf Miller. He's author of several books, including His American Christianity Failed. It's part 20 of our series, What I Wish My Non-Lutheran Family Knew About, and today we're talking about worship. We'll discuss the distinction between sacrament and sacrifice next. Lutheran talk. The cause of our salvation doesn't lie within us, but instead it lies outside of us, namely in the mercy of our God who sends his Son to live and die and rise again for us. Lutheran music. Listen anytime, anywhere with the Lutheran Public Radio mobile app. Download for iPhone, Android, and Kindle at issuesetc.org. Church music directors can find a new community at Prelude to Postlude, the CPH Music blog. Learn helpful tips for managing music ministry and involving members, and meet the composers of some of your favorite new pieces. Plus, find suggestions of music to use for special services, and preview some of our newest works with free samples you can use at your church. Visit us at preludetopostlude.org. Register today. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through the 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky. The conference includes visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Online registration is open now with early bird pricing at lutheransforlife.org conference. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org. The days are shortening and it's soon back to school. Ad Crucem has beautiful posters and art to adorn your home school or classroom and we print them right here in our Colorado workshop. 
Come and see our various prints by Cronach, Holbein, Bonat, Tintoretto and Caravaggio. Stock up on our daily prayer posters, creed posters and other beautiful Christ-focused artworks. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. The Faith Once for All Delivered to the Saints. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. Congregational Sponsor. Ascension of Christ Lutheran, Beverly Hills, Michigan. Concordia Lutheran, Wilmington, Delaware. Grace Lutheran, Clarksville, Tennessee. Emmanuel Lutheran, Fairview, Texas. Messiah Lutheran, Keller, Texas. Our Savior Lutheran, Westminster, Massachusetts. Redeemer Lutheran, Mandeville, Louisiana. St. John Lutheran, Paulina, Iowa. St. Paul Lutheran, Munster, Indiana, and Trinity Lutheran, Rock Springs, Wyoming. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about worship in our series, What I Wish My Non-Lutheran Family Knew About, with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. He's pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. He posts theology on the YouTube channel Wolfmiller One, and he's author of several books, including His American Christianity Failed. A print copy of this book is currently on sale for $5, Has American Christianity Failed, is also available as an audiobook and an ebook. Learn more on the Talk On Demand archives page at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Ask for Has American Christianity Failed? by Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. There's a distinction that has been made. I remember being taught this in the seminary between sacrament and sacrifice. It's a useful, although not all-encompassing, distinction. How would you describe it? Yeah, this is really helpful, especially when this very practical question comes up when our families visit church and they say, what's that pastor looking at? Because in the Lutheran liturgy, the pastor will sometimes face the congregation, and sometimes he'll turn around and he'll face the altar and the cross or the crucifix. And people are have been have seen this offense many times. Like, what, what's what's he looking at? Or is he worshiping that statue of Jesus up there? This is looks like idolatry to me. So this distinction between the sacramental and the sacrificial parts of worship is very helpful as explanatory. And that is that some parts of the service are sacramental, what we talked about before, the word and the sacraments, that is God coming to us to bless us and give us his word and his promises. Some parts of the service are sacrificial, that is our response of thanksgiving and faith to the Lord. And the pastor is in some ways like a hinge, like a valve, depending on which way the direction is going. So if the gifts are coming from God down to us, then the pastor, as the Lord's man in that place, stands to give those gifts, to preach, to bless, to absolve, to read the Lord's word. He's facing the congregation as the one who is sent there from the Lord to deliver his gifts. But then when the congregation is responding to that, the pastor will turn around and join the congregation and then be part of that offering of the Lord's praises, thanksgiving, and prayers that are going to the Lord. 
So if you can imagine the direction, sometimes from heaven down to earth, and that's the sacramental parts, and that's where the pastor faces the congregation. And then when we're sending our thanksgiving and praise and petitions back up to the Lord, the pastor turns around and joins the congregation and faces the altar. There's a little part in the old liturgy. It's been a little bit lost in the newer liturgies. It would be good for us to recover it because there will be times when the congregation as a whole is bringing its thanks and praise to the Lord, praying the Lord's Prayer together, confessing the creeds together, singing the canticles, the hymns of the liturgy together, and then the pastor will sort of take over for the congregation. And in those moments where the pastor is is going to stand at the altar on behalf of the congregation, there's a little exchange that would happen where the pastor would say, the Lord be with you, and the congregation would respond, and with thy spirit. That refers to the gift of the Holy Spirit that was given to the pastor at ordination. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. We can't say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. But we see in the Bible this wonderful truth that the Holy Spirit will come to each of us with unique gifts to help us in our vocations and callings. So when we become public confessors of the faith at our confirmation, we lay on hands and the Holy Spirit comes to give us that strength. Or when husband and wife are married to one another, we bless them and pray that the Holy Spirit would come and give them the gifts that are needed for marriage. Also, and maybe perhaps especially, when a man is set apart as a pastor, that hands are laid on him and the prayer for the Holy Spirit is given so that the Holy Spirit would support him in the works of his office. And so the congregation says, and with thy spirit, they're saying, we are recognizing that you are called to this place to especially pray, preach and pray for us to intercede as the prophets would intercede for the people. And so then the pastor will take over the prayers of the congregation, individually offering the prayers on behalf of everyone who's there. I think that little exchange was something like, it could be something colloquial, like the pastor turns around and says, we're all Christians. And the congregation then says, but you're the pastor. And so then the pastor turns around and offers the prayers to the Lord, not because of any special holiness that he has, but because of the gifts of his office. And so that understanding of sacramental and sacrificial, that little shape of the direction of God's gifts is really helpful for understanding what's going on in worship. You say that Lutherans have what you call a a generous view of church history and tradition. What does that mean? The church history folks call this the the distinction between the the conservative Reformation and the radical Reformation. And that is that those who are part of the conservative or the magisterial Reformation had a much more generous understanding of the history of the church. So the Lutherans had this. They would look on the forms and the, and the traditions that have been handed on in the last 2,000 years since the new church of the New Testament was established we would look upon that with a generous hermeneutic. We would say, if we can do it without sin, then let's keep it. So they had an instinct to preserve what was handed on rather than to reject what was handed on. A lot of the Radical Reformation, which is the spirit at work in most of American evangelicalism, is to throw out anything that's old, to embrace it for the sake of the new, or to skip over the last 2,000 years of history, to try to get back to some sort of sense of the authentic church as it was when it was established in the Book of Acts. The Lutheran Church is willing, and I think this comes out of obedience to the Fourth Commandment, honor your father and your mother. The Lutheran Church is looking at the things handed down to us and receiving them as a gift, if we can, 
rather than rejecting it if we can. So that's why we have a lot of times organ music, why we have older hymns, why the worship looks to many of our family and friends, it looks really old because we have this generous view of tradition. I think it's Charles Porterfield Krauth, who's one of the fathers of confessional Lutheranism in the United States, perhaps less well-known than, say, C.F.W. Walther, the founder of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I think Krauth said something like the 16th century Reformation should be known as much, if not more, for what it retained than what it rejected. It, it's a special, that is a especially important when we put that in relief to the attitude that is around today, which is a rebellious attitude, explicitly rebellious. So many churches are, when they ask, what should we do? They're saying, well, whatever it is, we shouldn't do what our grandparents did. We shouldn't do what our parents did. So there's a, there's a rebellious spirit when it comes to the way a lot of churches are simply thinking about the history of the church. And that's bad. I mean, there's so much that's lost in that. We should be able to, with a sobriety, be able to critique the things that are handed on to us. We should recognize that each generation, just like every generation in the family, every generation in the church has its strengths and has its weaknesses, has the things that it understands, and it has its own blind spots. And we should recognize that we have that as well. So that every generation is able to recognize something helpful and, and also recognize something that was maybe not so helpful in the way that our parents and grandparents stood before the Lord and worshiped. But we should have a, a profound sobriety about throwing out everything that's been given to us. That's the baby will go out with the bathwater if we do that. Pastor Brian Wolf Miller is our guest. It's our series, What I Wish My Non-Lutheran Family Knew About, and we're talking about worship. When we come back, we're going to spend some time discussing how worship is a reflection of what's happening right now and will for all eternity in God's heavenly presence. I like that we get to talk about these things and we hit it from a different angle, but because we love each other and because we have the same religious views, you know, church is the centerpiece of our lives. Worship is the centerpiece of our lives. Molly Hemingway speaking at the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. So when we are just going back and forth on politics, it's really not that important relative to the things that do in, matter. And in all safe. seriousness, if you do not have someone in your life that you both completely trust and regularly engage in arguments with, you're doing it wrong. You can watch and listen to journalists Mark and Molly Hemingway's Q&A and all of the presentations from the 2023 Making the Case Conference for a contribution of $300 by Labor Day. We'll send you links to download a podcast or watch a video stream. Order today at issuesetc.org or by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. It's not about you. It's about Jesus for you. You're listening to Issues Etc. Is your child struggling at school? Are you thinking about homeschooling? Would you like help knowing what to teach and how to teach it? The Simply Classical curriculum from Memoria Press provides an enriching step-by-step -step classical Christian education for students who have autism, learning or behavioral difficulties, ADHD, and more. 
You'll find everything you need, including daily lesson plans to guide your way. Learn more at simplyclassical.com. Use LPR23 to save on your order. Simplyclassical.com. Have you ever pondered the limits of archaeology? What can it tell us? What can't it tell us? Well, Dr. David Adams takes up this topic in the September issue of The Lutheran Witness, where he discusses the fact that archaeology ultimately doesn't prove anything. It simply gives us the facts that have to be interpreted. To learn more, pick up your copy of The Lutheran Witness, visit cph.org witness, or the Lutheran Witness website, witness.lcms.org, to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Christological. My friends, Jesus comes only for sinners. Historical. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by... Sacramental. Take and eat. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given unto death for your sins. To find a Christological, historical, and sacramental church near you, go to issuesetc.org and click Find a Church. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about worship in our series, What I Wish My Non-Lutheran Family Knew About. Pastor Brian Wolf Miller is our guest, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas. We're thankful for St. Paul Lutheran's church support of Issues Etc. through our congregational sponsorship program. Most confessional Lutheran churches plan their budgets for a new calendar year in November and December. Learn how your congregation can support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. and receive benefits like promoting your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal, on the support donate page at issuesetc.org, or give us a call, 618-223-8385. Brian, before we go on to talk about the heavenly court, which is a very interesting and important aspect of a Lutheran view of worship, someone says, look, it's all old, though. I understand you having a generous view of tradition, but... Old music, old liturgy, old prayers. You say it sounds old because it is. What do you mean? Well, yeah. I mean, we we have inherited, I mean, not just 2,000, but we've inherited 6,000 years of wisdom in the church. And so we, when we come and we pray the hymns, we're praying hymns that are hundreds or thousands of years old. When we uh, pray the Psalms, we're praying prayers that were composed by King David 3,000 years ago. When we hear the prophetic and the apostolic words of God, n- none of this is newer than 1,900 and something years. It's in- incredible. So these come, uh, these are gifts that come to us from ancient times, and yet they come with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so they are brought to us today. I think when anybody asks me how to preach, I, I don't know how to do this really, but I mean, thinking about it some, and I, I say, this is what you should th- say, or if you don't say it, you should think it. God, the Holy Spirit, has you here today to hear this word from him. And so there is a profound immediacy 
when we understand the work and the promises that the Lord has bound up to his word and to baptism and to the supper, that Jesus comes to us right where we are, no matter where we are in the world, and when we are in the chronology of of the Lord's working things from the beginning to the end of the world, no matter what, the Lord comes right to us. And so we are, in fact, singing the new song, which is the song of the incarnation, death, and resurrection of Jesus that will go on for all eternity. And that is brought right to us. So the form seems old to us, but a lot of the contemporary forms are old as well. I mean, a lot of the shapes of worship go back to the old pagan worship, and these are just as old as well. It, it feels fresher to us, probably because it's it's catering to the emotions, but, but the age of something should not determine the usefulness of it. And so we can have that generous view of tradition, but that's not the main thing. The main thing is that the Lord comes right to us. He faces us right up to his word and to his truth, to his goodness and his beauty, every time he gathers us in the name of Jesus. I often tell people who are new to Lutheran worship that there are three things they need to understand. This is how the church has worshiped from all time and into eternity. We believe that Jesus is really here, and this is why we act the way we do. And the third thing is, as you point out, that we also believe that we are participating in the worship at in the heavenly throne room right now on Sunday morning. Right. That's exactly right. And so just to look at the I mean the the kind of chronology of it, it's a it's a kind of funny thing that, you know, some of the hymns that we sing are thousands of years old. Some of the hymns that we sing are ten years old, three years old. I, I've written a couple of bad hymns and we've sung those that you know we've sung hymns that are ten minutes old then. So it's not the age of the thing that matters, but it, it does have this ancient feel to it. And I think it's because something is happening there that is particularly ancient. In fact, it's eternal. And this has to do with this the business of the throne room that you mentioned. This takes a little time to flesh out, but I think it's worth uh, it thinking about it. Because people have often said that the form of worship is dictated by the Old Testament. You know, Moses received very specific instructions about how the people were supposed to worship, but we don't have anything like that in the New Testament. And so there's a sort of um, out of a silence of the biblical dominical mandate. We can shape up worship however we want it to look. But I think we should be very careful about that. Number one, when we look at the Old Testament, we see what the Lord is setting up there is a shadow or a reflection, shadow is the word that Hebrews uses, a reflection of the heavenly reality. When Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days in the clouds while the people were down trying to invent their own form of worship, the Lord was telling Moses, build what you see. And he came down and he built the tabernacle and the holy place and the holy of holies and the ark of the covenant, the mercy seat with the cherubim on top of it and the altar outside with the bronze laver and the established the priesthood and all that sort of stuff. Build what you see. And so when Moses gives the instructions for all of those things, it becomes a picture of what's happening in heaven. And so we could see, for example, every time one of the prophets sees the throne of God, they see these four living creatures. Well, that was there on the Ark of the Covenant with the two cherubim and the two cherubim that were woven into the veil that protected the holy place. Or when we see then the Day of Atonement and the priest offering the sacrifice of the bull and then the goat, 
outside the temple and bringing the blood and placing it on the Ark of the Covenant. It's giving us not only a picture of that throne room, but of what happens in that throne room, namely that Jesus was crucified outside the camp and carries his blood into the presence of God. So Hebrews really gives us this picture of how all the Old Testament worship was a picture, a preaching of the eternal reality of the incarnation, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And so this connection between the activity of the throne room and the activity of the worship of the Old Testament should not be overlooked because I think we can just bring it in some ways straight across into the New Testament and say that our worship also is a reflection of what happens in the heavenly throne room. And how we understand the activity of that divine throne room will directly inform what we do when we gather as a church to worship. You say that there are five activities that we know about the heavenly throne room. With a few minutes left here, and we'll have more time in a future conversation to flesh them out, but take us through those five things that are reflected in Sunday morning worship. I think this is an incomplete list, and I would love feedback from our listeners on what to add to the list. But when we look at those visions that we have of the heavenly throne, we see these five activities. Number one, there's conversation between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Father says to the Son, you are my Son, today I have begotten you. Sit here at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Son speaks to the to the Father. There's this beautiful conversation that's happening there. And that's really what it, the prophets were able to make known, is that divine conversation. They stood in the counsel of God and made his words known. Secondly, there's a court or there's a trial. So remember in the ancient world, like King Solomon stood as king and pronounced judgments over court cases. Well, so the Lord is doing the same. Remember the beginning of Job where the accuser, Satan, brings an accusation against Job to that heavenly throne. The third thing is petitions are being heard. This was pictured in the Old Testament as the incense that was would go through the veil to the throne. So the petitions of the Lord's people are carried by the Holy Spirit into that heavenly throne room where the Lord hears our prayers and answers them. The fourth thing is the praise of the king, who he is and what he does. And the fifth thing is there's a sending that comes from that place. So messengers and servants are sent forth from that throne to do the will of the king. Angels, the prophets, in fact, we pastors should understand this as the source of our own call. That heavenly throne room has sent us to to the Lord's people to deliver his gifts. And all five of these things that happen in that heavenly throne, the word, the trial, the prayers, the praises, and the sending are reflected in the divine service. So that our liturgy, our worship service, is an earthly reflection or shadow of that heavenly reality. And the more we lean into that, the more really lovely and comforting the divine service becomes. Brian, what will we be covering next time in What I Wish My Non-Lutheran Family Knew About Worship? About a minute. Yeah, let's dig more into these five things and talk about how they show up, how the typical American church misses the focus of the courtroom and puts it on the praises, and especially we want to lean into how this activity of the heavenly court is not only reflected in the liturgy, but it's reflected there so that it can be reflected in our hearts and in our consciences. And this is how the Lord orders up our heart according to the forgiveness of sins. That's where the rubber really hits the road. 
Pastor Brian Wolf Miller is pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. He posts theology on the YouTube channel Wolf Miller One, and he's author of several books, including His American Christianity Failed. Brian, thanks. Thank you. Folks, Luther Academy serves Lutheran pastors and lay people to the ends of the earth. Find out more about this confessionally Lutheran worldwide mission outreach at lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Up next, Dr. Ken Sherb will lead us in a teaching on the season of Advent. I'm Todd Wilkin. Stay with us. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Bahama Mama, Ocean Pacific, Paradise Island. Retreat from the heat with the shaved ice snow cone from Tropical Snow in Caseyville, Illinois. It's right across the street from Collinsville High School. Tropical Snow is open daily from one to nine. Premium snow, epic flavors, Lots of love. Tropical snow across the street from Collinsville High School at 2134 South Morrison Avenue in Caseyville. The grace of God, the church's music, the Lord's Supper every service every Sunday, preaching Christ crucified and risen, our hope for years to come. There is hope in St. Louis, Hope Lutheran Church, that is. 5218 Neosho Street, St. Louis, Missouri. Find us on the web at hopelutheranstl.org.